Welcome to Don't Call Me a Guru. I'm Tyler Butler, social media manager, uh, digital coordinator at McEwen University. And I'm Linda Huang, digital strategist, social media specialist at Calder Bateman. Linda, <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah. Why does the media in Edmonton, the city in which we live, why do they not at mention anyone in their tweets? <laughs> why? Explain it. To, I demand that you tell me. As someone who worked in social media, in Edmonton media, I can tell you a lot of the times they don't have a strategy. I obviously don't mean this in like I'm slagging them kind of way. I love a ton of them. But yeah, they don't have a strategy. They're just trying to get the news out as fast as they can. Newsrooms are shrinking and you'll notice that when Global Toronto tweets, Global Lethbridge tweets, Global Edmonton tweets, all the exact same things. So there's someone in some central office in let's That's say- That's probably why. In Toronto who doesn't know how to look for the proper who doesn't name. know how to look okay. it up. Cool, 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 cool. cool. <laughs> But they're trying. And speaking of finding the proper name on Twitter, uh, you may have heard recently that after the boycott Hamilton hashtag started, an unfortunate theater in Hamilton, Ontario was bombarded by hateful posts from Trump supporters uh, from the United States. Uh, supporters who didn't bother to look up on Google, which Hamilton account should I tweet before I send vile messages? <laughs> I think that's common. It's a, it's a common bad thing that people do on social media. Well, good thing they're listening to this social media strategy podcast so where the most hateful and kind-hearted of us are able to learn important lessons about right. social media. Like tip, before you tweet someone look up their proper username. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some social media news. I want to talk about how right now, everyone and their dog and cat wants to be Snapchat. Why do you think everyone wants to be Snapchat? Snapchat is so hot right now. Snapchat is so hot right <laughs> but now. But is it? I don't actually think... <laughs> I don't actually think Snapchat is hot right now because so many people are copying them. Instagram is shamelessly copying Snapchat's features that in a year from now, I don't know if Snapchat's still going to be a thing. Interesting. I really don't. I'm like moving away from it from the business perspective. Man, if your audience is already on Instagram and Instagram is introducing disappearing messages, they're introducing Instagram stories, they're introducing all of these features that you have come to know and love about Snapchat, I feel like it's making Snapchat sort of irrelevant. And I still love Snapchat. Let me make it very clear. Snapchat's still the funner one. But a lot of the features are, are migrating over to these different social networks. I think it's easier to make Snapchat-like content on other social medias. But I'm a strong believer that limitation is the source of greatness. That Snapchat's strength is that it's hard to use and that it's messy and, and that it's hard to gain followers and you really got to earn it and there's no discover function beyond like a, a very high level paid discover function. So I, I just continue to think that's the strength of Snapchat. It's not about the features. It is about that it's hard to use and therefore the quality and the creativity level is very high. 
But speaking of limitation uh, begetting greatness, uh, I wanted to talk about the death of Vine. Since our last podcast, Vine, uh, let's pour one out to Vine. I'm I'm raising my uh, wobbly pop right now. And, uh, they are not a sponsor. They are not a Wobbly Pop uh, LLC is not a sponsor of this. Uh. Yeah, in just a mere 30 days, Vine just came to an end. Rest in peace, Vine. Now, did you use Vine in any of your social media strategy? I did. When I was at Nate, I used Vine. Um, oh, we had a few different series, uh, but one of them was uh, like a how-to series. So we basically tried to demonstrate uh, the different experts in the school doing something in six seconds, uh, which I think a lot of people liked. And, and it was fun. It, you know, it was experimental, but, but it didn't last for very long. Personally, I used Vine sporadically, uh, but I, I had one feature that a lot of people really liked, which was when I would cut into an egg and it would just kind of get runny. I'm serious. I've now moved this over to Snapchat and people will will snap me and say, really love this week's runny egg snap. So I started using <laughs> Vine at McEwen because I wanted moving pictures in my tweets. As soon as Twitter made their photo options a little better and made GIFs more readily available, I stopped seeing a use for Vine. I know that it, there was a big culture around it and I think if you were tapping into that audience, it was important for me personally in my strategies like if you talking about your your runny eggs i think why don't you just make a video on your twitter account it's the same thing well now yeah do you have a vine following like people's vine accounts following your vine account very no very limited i I never got into it and and like you said it was very uh there was definitely a following it was a very niche um and these vine celebrities like they blew up totally like some of them are like actors now they're they're paid to promote and endorse things but like you said as other social networks started to introduce more video features it starts to be like why do we need vine oh no maybe snapchat is doomed Come full circle. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't know. I was actually always very impressed uh, with Vine stars, and I still to this day don't know how they edited... edited their vines like did you ever did you personally did you ever follow any of the vine stars i watched a list of the best ever vines <laughs> i like you know when you're sitting at your desk <laughs> feeling and old you're like what? no no you're sitting at your desk and you're like if i laugh as hard as my body wants to laugh <laughs> everyone will know i'm not working right that was me vine brings pure joy i think there was an account called cat reviews <laughs> This vine, literally, the guy would just record for six seconds a cat that he would come across and say things like, okay, orange, little fluffy, six out of six out of ten. That's really funny. <laughs> it's like awesome. I would sit and watch it forever. But again, since we are on the social media strategy right. podcast, you could just make a Twitter video. You could make a Snapchat account. Now you, you can. Now you can do thing. an Instagram boomerang. Really. Yeah, exactly. So there's so many features. So rest in peace, Vine. Gone but not forgotten. For sure. R.I.P. I wanted to talk about Twitter polls. Twitter polls for me, I don't know about you, for me, Twitter polls are crushing it right now. I'm getting like insane numbers, more engagements on them than anything else. Have you noticed a similar effect? I have seen this. Yes. More people are likely to vote in your poll, even if it's the poll itself is probably not earth shattering or groundbreaking, right? Oh, no. (laughs) 
But people are seem way more inclined to give a vote than they would retweet it. But that's still a great measure of engagement. Sticking on Twitter, I recently made my first Twitter moment. Have you made a Twitter moment yet? I haven't made a Twitter moment yet. Well, Thanks for know, rubbing it in my face. You have an eventful life but to I have, I have be able to justify a Twitter moment. <laughs> I made Twitter moments for McEwen's open house and for our fall convocation. I think that Twitter moments, the, the weakness, of course, is that you're restricted to Twitter. Uh, so you can't be sharing the uh, the Instagrams and other cool public stuff uh, like you would with Storify. The positives are you can share them and they auto expand as a card in your timeline and it looks great. And also I think they embed really well on our website. It just looks really good. It's easy to play the videos and the GIFs. Um, so I think if Twitter's your focus, Twitter moments are great, but if you get a lot of Instagram engagement, which we do at Convocation, we get a lot of students uh, posting on Instagram, then you kind of are sacrificing those if you focus on Twitter moments. My tip uh, for using Twitter moments, um, or even when I, like it really, it comes from Storify too. What I'd always recommend with Storify is that I love uh, using it to curate a variety of perspectives, a variety of content from different users. I think that's important. Like, obviously, if the event that you're creating a Twitter moment for or the topic doesn't have a lot of voices, um, maybe you're a little limited. But wherever you can, I would try to include as many different users' photos um, and sort of cobble them together to still tell that story uh, in an interesting way. But but more voices. Do you think it's more important to share some of that in every story or to have a timeline through your Swordfire Twitter moment that is consistently quality content? Because not everything you get at an event is like a, wow, that's an amazing tweet. What's your balance there? I think like if the photo is blurry or the video is crap, then yeah, like I like disregard it. Um, but I think there's something to be said about, uh, you know, uh, in your example, a student's photo from a different angle of the stage at convocation versus, let's say, yours from the front. I think with social media, there's a degree of uh, accepting it's not going to be stellar quality. Not everything will be stellar quality, but I think as long as the story arc is still there um, and, and you're sort of hitting those buckets, well, as long as we talk about this topic, whether that's my tweet or someone else's tweet, um, then I would rather go for that. If it's like really shit, then yeah, <laughs> don't include it. Lastly, new from Twitter is a series of, uh, of safety tools. Uh, they've introduced the ability to mute keywords, phrases, hashtags, emojis, and entire conversations. Uh, you can also report content as like hateful or abusive content now. Do you think this is useful? Uh, for me, it really depends how Twitter actually responds when you report this kind of thing, but um, I think we've seen in politics lately and, and kind of forever on social media, like <laughs> this stuff doesn't really get taken down. How useful do you think these tools are going to be? I think it's a good step. Twitter has been for a, a few years now trying to deal with this their hate problem um, and I know like I know a few people who personally have been uh, at the center of attacks from strangers and trolls and people they don't know and they're anonymous um, and it can really 
well, as we've seen, like there there are celebrities who take down their Twitter accounts because so many people uh, are, are saying so many negative things. So I think whatever Twitter's introducing, these tools included, it's it's a positive step. Um, but like you said, like like it's weird to me that, OK, it's you're, you're muting it, but it still exists. You know, and that content still that hateful content still exists out there. So they w- really would need to to actually take it down or deal with it. But and apparently they've trained their support staff uh, on their hateful content policy to to be able to try to better respond to this. So I'm I'm open minded. I'm curious mm-hmm. to see how it goes because I do think it's a problem on Twitter. No, I'm really excited because one of my good friends and someone that I really admire uh, in the local social media world is here to join us as our first guest on the podcast, Devin Komarniski. Devin uh, has worked in Edmonton's nonprofit sector for over 10 years, um, focusing the last six in marketing and communications for both Hope Mission and the Bissell Center, where you currently are, Devin. Um, you've also uh, brought homelessness issues to the forefront, uh, empowering Edmontonians to step up and take action um, through successful campaigns like Tweet for Hope, Restore Bissell, and Drop Your Gunch, all three of which I've been happy to say that I've been a part of, so thank you for including me in that. <laughs> And uh, you're also a successful wedding DJ with your wife, Krista. You have a DJ uh, service called Newly Sound? It is true. (laughs) Yeah, it's our weekend job. It's kind of date night for us, actually. And uh, yeah, I am delighted to be here and excited to chat about social media. So, I wanted to start by asking you about uh, just some general thoughts on what's your approach to social media? Like, who who are you as a social media manager? Hmm. I would say uh, my approach and who I am is really just being human and present. That's important to me. So a lot of what I do is really in the moment. I've found over the years, it's really just being bold and being nice, considerate, and just being attentive to what the needs of the audience are. Um, So yeah, I guess the, the approach is just using the social skills that our parents taught us and uh, doing it through social media. And and it's really no different than how you'd act or behave and approach uh, relationships in the real world. And I guess I've found a success in that, just being sincere. Can you tell us about um, what you've sort of done for Hope Mission when you were there and also, uh, you know, versus or compared to your experience at the Bissell Center with the different social media campaigns and even how you guys are organized and and sort of how you how you do things? Yeah. um, So it was 2010 uh, when I started uh, in the marketing and communications department at Hope Mission, uh, which was really in its infancy. I was able to uh, take over the Twitter account when they had about uh, 600 followers, which in those days was, you know, it was not bad. We were still kind of trying to figure out what's what's a, what's a good follower count at that time. And so I was like, oh, 600 followers, that's amazing. Uh, but I soon realized that the potential was to go way further. 2000 was kind of the goal for everybody at that time because you know if if you um, if you got to 2000 you could follow more than than 2000 people so that was kind of the first goal and frankly it was scary to tweet back then especially for a nonprofit where you're asking for support you know for me I wasn't sure if people wanted to hear what we had to offer and I had this mentality that everybody you know didn't want to hear and I had to switch that and I and it was only with you know experience and tweeting and stuff that you see that people 
wanted to support and you feed off of that and my mentality switched to I'm going to assume that everybody wants to support until otherwise told and that gave me a lot more confidence to be bold ask for things even direct message people and assume that they want to support so that was a big thing at Hope Mission and then uh, then I switched over to, to Bissell a few years ago. I actually use a tweet that you sent out from Hope Mission in a lot of my presentations as an example of the power of a retweet. And you probably know which one I'm going to bring up. Um, but you basically asked uh, people to, you were very explicit about asking people to retweet. So please retweet this message. And it was that Hope Mission needed bottles of water. And it was just amazing because there was like 400 retweets in an hour. You actually had 10,000 physical bottles of water dropped off in that week, I believe it was. So was it was that a big win at that time for you? And, and did that also help, you know, sort of I don't know if justify is the right word, but but, you know, like prove the value of social in even in your like in your department and for that nonprofit? Absolutely. That that tweet was everything. That was the moment where I truly believed that the community wanted to support this stuff and were behind people who were struggling with homelessness and actually cared. Uh, so that gave me a lot of confidence to go on and do some of the successful campaigns. And um, yeah, it, it was it's funny because that that tweet was very strategic, but what's important uh, that it, it's also an authentic need and people see that if it's not authentic. Um, but we knew a heat wave was coming. So I started crafting a tweet and I, I was obsessive over what's a perfect tweet. And at the time, you, you know, you want to leave enough, uh, like 20 characters so someone could, you know, put commentary on that and repost that. Yeah, it was uh, 120 characters and it had a very explicit please retweet. And uh, I think I had a ha hashtag capital letters, capital letters. Yeah. Something. You know, just to um, <laughs> to be visually noticeable and I held that back until, because um, I knew the heat wave was, wave was coming, but I knew like timing was really important. What really sparks something is if people are experiencing it with their, you know, with, with, if they're feeling it. So everybody's feeling this heat wave, right? And it's, um, you know, people are running off to get water, bottles of water for themselves. But, you know, people have the luxury of going home and cooling off, air conditioning, uh, establishments like coffee shops. Uh, those who are homeless don't. And it really struck a nerve with people. And we ended up getting 10,000 bottles of water in. It, it was like a, literally a flood of water came into Toho Mission and <laughs> really boosted my confidence in what we could do in the future. I'm, I'm full of thoughts after, after this starts the discussion. So um, for something that's so spontaneous, like you were waiting for this heat wave, you put so much preparation into it for that moment of spontaneity to be perfect. What are your thoughts on like preparation versus spontaneity in social media? Because Linda and I often stand on different sides of this where I'm very meticulously prepared. It's very boring. I'm very boring. <laughs> and Linda's very spontaneous and different approaches. But not to say that I don't plan as well, Tyler. No, I know. I'm, I'm trying to position us right, on, right. on the two sides of the spectrum, see where Devin lands. But also, like, specifically from a non nonprofit perspective. And let's see what he says. Yes. Um, ideally, there's a little bit of both. But I do, uh, I really believe in quality over quantity. 
Um, so <laughs> I, I like to add spontaneous things and I wish actually I could fill in the gaps and with more spontaneous stuff and with live video being prominent now, um, really looking at how we, we invest in that. But definitely I take time to craft a post and I'm obsessive over the images on Instagram and really consider if it, if it's serving our needs or if it's providing value for the audience. Everybody on social media is looking for something, an opportunity that speaks to them. And uh, a lot, you know, for a nonprofit and businesses, sometimes we get, you know, lost in what we're trying to communicate rather than what, what does the audience want to hear? What's going to get them fired up? Because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to, you know, support us, donate or buy from us. Yeah, there needs to be some strategy and consideration. But sometimes you, ju you just need to say, hey, we're here, we're excited. You know, just put yourself in the feed to be visible. But yeah, so a mix of both. Can you talk about, especially for, let's say, the Bissell Center work that you do, the sensitivities around the subjects that you're sharing on social media. So I think a lot of nonprofits can maybe, uh, you know, relate to that. Uh, the photos that you're sharing of, let's say, a homeless person, that's not you just ambushing them and then taking their picture and posting it, right? So what's what's the process there and, and how sensitive are you guys? And and is it, you know, have you built a good relationship or is that part of it? You have to you have to build a good relationship with the people that you're taking pictures of. Yeah, absolutely. It's all relationship based. And um, we do when it's in our uh property, uh, Bissell Center, uh, we get signatures for every every photo, uh, every portrait of a, uh, someone who is using our facilities. Yeah, no, it's, it's very sensitive. We want to be respectful of people. Um, and a lot of times, you know, folks want to, you know, share their stories and and say you know yes if you know if this is for Bissell and it's going to benefit Bissell it's going to help more people like you're helping me um, most people are all about it um, and there's times where we're say we have a special dinner and you know people are like no photos no photos and it's like absolutely you know we you know we we, we want people to be comfortable and um, you know we're kind of all in this together so uh, you know if, if if they're comfortable and they feel like um, sharing their story is going to to help Bissell then we're, we're that much more confident to share it out and take pride in that piece that will resonate with the community at large. Social media has such a potential for creating social change. It's such a powerful tool. Uh, and you mentioned before, people need to be feeling what you want them to feel for the perfect kind of tweet to happen. I mean, we've seen in just two weeks ago, we saw the result of really negative social change on social media when Trump was elected. But the work you're doing is really creating good. So can you talk about the potential for social media to create social change? Yeah, I think um, it's not necessarily something that's that special about social media it's really it's a tool that facilitates human interaction and conversation right where before ideas and um, people coming together for good causes was more more in pockets and, and uh, more scattered and I think um, I think we can all agree that Edmonton is feels like more of a unified place and I think we take pride in being a philanthropic city because we're, we've come out of these pockets and, and found um, where the overlaps are and, and where we um, are, I guess, what we're inspired about uh, in helping change our city and make it a better place. Yeah, I, I see it as really a vehicle 
for what existed before. It's just we can do it so much more uh, quickly. We can unify so much more quickly and put messages out there and, and come together uh, more succinctly, if you will. Can you talk about, so in the introduction, uh, we, we mentioned Restore Bissell, Tweet for Hope, um, those, sort of, those sort of campaigns that you've been involved in. So, so can you just speak to, I guess, activating the community and, and your approach to, to getting people to become ambassadors for, for your brand, for the brand that? Really, um, it's asking boldly asking, um, you know, if you have a, a product that you believe in or a service or a cause that you believe in, you know, go ahead and ask. And I, I do this thing that I'm not, that I'm finding out a, a lot of people don't do, but I will, I will direct message people, um, rather than hoping my tweet gets seen. Not every tweet's going to be, uh, you know, viral and take off, but you know, I build a relationship so that, I can actually go and, and direct message someone and ask them, hey, can you support this? We have this really important thing. Your support will make a huge impact. And uh, I'd be so grateful if you were to help share it. I, I really try to plant deep seeds rather than um, just casting some into the social sphere and hoping for the best. I think you really need to be proactive, especially nowadays with social. Nothing's guaranteed to you, you know, with the algorithms and everything, like you kind of got to go to the to the source, the person and ask for that support. And it, it's powerful when somebody endorses on your behalf and and and, um, and it takes a lot of pressure off us from always asking out in, you know in, in public when someone can ask on your behalf it's so much more powerful you get that social proof other people uh, could see that um, a group of people are concerned about coming together to make change and then it just kind of compounds from there so what I'm suggesting is boldly ask and assume people want to help before you assume they don't how do you identify who you're going to ask to, to share your post or support your cause? So when Twitter lists started, I, you know, started putting people in buckets. <laughs> so, um, and that started with Hope Mission and then kind of carried over some of those relationships and each different campaign, I make a list of people who actually showed up or retweeted or made comments. When I, when you go to someone's profile and you actually click on um, lists, you can actually see the different interactions, like different campaigns that I have them in different buckets I have them. And it kind of gives you a, a, a profile of that person's um, past support because you can't keep up. Like there's hundreds of people. You forget who was involved in what. So um, then from there, the people that are really responsive and really active, they go onto a special list where I just know that they're going to be excited to support. So it's, it's really um, taken note on, on who's supported in the past to uh, have them involved in the future. I love that so much. So I love how organized that is. He's geek Tyler's geeking out right now. He just, he literally idea. shuddered. <laughs> um, I was going to say, obviously, uh, these are private lists. Totally. And some people use that as kind of a strategy. Um, you know, you, they put people on lists to kind of get noticed, like they to make people feel important or whatever. Um, all of my lists are secret and it's just, you know, and it seems maybe, you know, really thought out and maybe uh, a contrived process, but really it's just remembering, you know, I want to, if someone's 
supported in the past. I don't want to forget that. I want to acknowledge and thank them for their past support. And, and I could, you know, reference that when I asked them to help share something new. Thanks for your support with this campaign and that campaign. You've been, you know, a great supporter over the years. I have that information. There's just so many people, right? So you can kind of tailor to that person. It's no different than in the past when you went to um, a mixer or something and you wrote, you know, that's Jim. He, uh, he loves to sail. He has three kids, you know, those kind of things, right? They, they're important for people. I have to ask because I know if I have a friend who might be listening to this and she would be curious to know because I've never had an issue with you privately messaging me and asking me to retweet something. Um, this friend that I have has mentioned to me in the past that sometimes she feels, even though you're, you're going for the personal aspect, sometimes she feels that that is actually impersonal because she'll only get a direct message from you when you want something. What's your take on balancing that with sort of the brand ambassadors that you're trying to build up? Um, I've, first of all, who is this? Friend? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I think I'm at peace with, um, with that. Some people are kind of saying, yes, of course, Devin. And they're actually irritated. I, I welcome people. I've had people say, you know, I, I appreciate what you guys are doing, but, um, I'd rather not receive DMs. So if this person's listening, please let me know, and I won't DM you anymore. Yeah, I've built some really great relationships by um, by DMing people. I also do try the the ones that I I, I am DMing. I I do make an effort to meet them in person and and kind of show them that like, you know, I, I appreciate it. And you know, sometimes I also when I do DM, I say, hey, you know, let me know if I can reciprocate. Um, and I've actually found that very. Um, empowering for people to ask me well i've got this event and i'm like just ask you know i have this twitter account and this following and like i want to help the city too this could go both ways really so yeah i think at the start you mentioned how scary it is to start making those asks and it's because this is one of the consequences like some people aren't going to like that you asked you know but i feel like we all know that if you're a social media manager you need to have a bit of a thick skin like it could rind on you i don't do you feel that way like do you ever get any hate on your social media? <laughs> Not hate, but I, I agree with you. Um, you you got to develop a, a pretty thick skin because, you know, you, you do get comments. You get negative comments and, you know, um, people are angry and, you know, for whatever reason. And I, I find those things kind of sort themselves out. And, you know, I find that um, if you've built an audience that really believes in what you do and appreciates it, they actually step up to police that stuff on your behalf. And then the stuff that are like direct messages and stuff like that, you just address them um, as they come up. I think they're all opportunities. Um, you can turn someone who's angry at you for whatever reason into an advocate if if you just listen, hear their hear their concern out, and then do your best to you know alleviate whatever is irritating them if that's in your power. Um, but yeah, like it comes back to just being sincere and and actually seeing your followers as what they are as humans and dealing with these, each situation on a human level. So can you tell us about, I guess, your, your content strategy or, or just an overarching strategy, I suppose, for nonprofits in general and any tips you'd recommend or what has worked for you and also what hasn't? Because I think that's valuable as well. 
Wow, there's a lot. There's there's a lot, uh, but it's it's really based on um, the different campaigns that we do at different times of year. And I think it's like nonprofit is very similar to for profit. Like Christmas is coming up, you know. It's it's a opportunity for nonprofits as well as businesses. You know, we have campaigns around this time because we know people are in the philanthropic spirit. In the new year, we know that it gets cold, so people are gonna be thinking about those who are homeless. Easter. Uh, Thanksgiving, these kind of big days, and then peppered in, there's you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day. Like it kind of creates itself based on what's happening in the world, and uh, and then we we try to draw out stories that are relevant to those times because uh, they they resonate deeper with people who like again whether they're feeling a heat wave or they're feeling emotional because it's you know Mother's Day and, and Valentine's Day. So it's really built off of that with, regarding the strategy. And I guess you asked what's not working. <laughs> what's not working? Uh, it's, it, time is never on our side, it seems. We always, you know, there's no ceiling to the potential in social. So it always feels like we can be doing more. I, I've got to let that go sometimes. I know we could put more content out there. We can create more, curate more. So it, you're just kind of choosing your battles in that. But... Yeah, I guess um, interested in, in looking at live video in, in, in the future here in 2017, and, and that'll be a, definitely a part of our strategy. One of the things that I love doing, and I got it from you, you actually have a private Instagram account that you use to test photos and test filters and see how things look up next to each other. Yeah, and I love that. So can you talk about, talk about that, talk about any other, I guess, Instagram techniques that that would help you know social media managers yes I, I'm really a fan of the private account and I know now they have you can do drafts but still I like to lay things out on on the grid specifically um, it's called um, Gram cave and I, it's private so you, if you go there you won't be able to see anything I don't think but um, it's like you know my man cave for for Instagramming. I get to go there and I get to tinker around and move things around. Yeah, no, it's it's just a way for me to, I guess, alleviate that pressure of having to have something perfect before I see how it looks and feels. So I'll post it up there and and then I can write uh, kind of a draft in there. And then when I feel good about it, then I bring it over to the main account and put it out. And like I said, I, I'm especially with Instagram, pretty obsessive about you know, a quality, well-lit photo, and it fits with the rest, um, quality over quantity. So we actually don't post a ton on Instagram, but when we do, it like it has a story and it has a specific focus and we want it to resonate. I guess if I have the capacity to post more, I have an audience that is engaged and kind of trusts the, that the content we're putting out today will be the content that we're going to put out tomorrow so it keeps the audience kind of comfortable following us so there's no surprises or the quality doesn't change or you know it has a it has a focus and a, a vision for the the account and we uh, we found a success and you know have over um 3, followers and and excited to kind of just continue on that i think uh an issue a lot of social media managers and not-for-profits face is uh people maybe not quite understanding what value social media is bringing to the not-for-profit. Can you talk about kind of, do you set goals for yourself to kind of justify your position? Do you feel that you need to justify your position? Like uh, not, not these days. 
in back in the Hope Mission days, 2010, 11, 12, definitely. You know, I was I was scooping up whatever positive sentiment that people would leave on the social platforms and saying, here, you know, Bruce, the director, like, I'm, I'm like, look what people are saying. This is resonating. These are donors. They want to support. Um, have, don't have to do that so much. People know, a lot of leaders and nonprofits know it's undeniable that um, the so- social media is making a, a, an impact. And um, it's, it's clearly where people are and you know i encourage any nonprofit to you know wake up and realize people are online and as we talked about before mobilizing people like um it's easier now than ever to to unify uh unify people around your cause um so don't have to do do much um wrestling and we actually have a a budget for ads and stuff like that so a couple thousand dollars a year that we can test and play with and and yeah, I guess regarding um, analytics and stuff, you know, we really look, you know, what's working, what's not, and listening to the audience and crafting um, each uh, different piece of content based on the success of the last. Uh, as to the organization side of things, like, are you the only person who posts to the accounts that you manage? Um, no, I I do the bulk of it because I'm. I tend to be a little bit of a control freak with social media just because I, I love doing it. I love being there and present. But I have the support of uh, Michelle, uh, a partner who uh, helps, uh, I guess, answer comments or questions that come up. Uh, she helps schedule stuff. And day to day, it would be kind of her and my eyes on it. Um, I tend to do a bulk of the tweeting, though, and it a lot of it happens outside of my work hours just because I enjoy doing it. So, uh, I'm curious how you maintain brand like uh, tonal consistency with your accounts with multiple people posting. One of the things we've talked about is the idea of like bosses wanting to post on your social media accounts yeah. uh, from <clears throat> their... And they just don't get it. <laughs> and you get it. Well, not all the time. Some bosses get it. <laughs> So how how do you um, how do you ensure that there's a consistent tone and voice in your accounts? And what what advice would you give our our uh, uh, less in control listeners out there? If there's multiple people posting, somebody's got to be, I guess the the main the point person who um, really holds that standard. And you know, for us, we kind of. We are comfortable in this kind of lighthearted, um, inspirational place. That's kind of our, our sweet spot where it's it's really about empowerment. It's about join us, partner with us. Let's you know let's make an impact together. But then we'll stray off sometimes when we need to get more serious and talk about some of the real issues. Uh, but we settle back into definitely more of a lighthearted place um, that um, I think. It works really well in social, uh, but like I said, then we kind of stray off from there, and we all agree that that's kind of our sweet spot. Um, as for bosses, uh, <laughs> my pre- the previous CEO at, at Bissell, he liked to get on. Like I guess he was tweeting before I showed up, and uh, while, while the uh, previous marketing manager was on mat leave, um, so he liked to chime in every once in a while, and and he understood it. Not that we're pretty fortunate, nothing was off base. Like very smart, uh, passionate guy about the cause, and so never really ran into that problem of you know the boss uh, posting. So pretty lucky in that regard. But it does make a difference, you know, like if. 
like even to the the capitalization of something and the consistency in that that all makes a difference for for the consistent brand tone right oh absolutely yeah yeah in those different styles are kind of like they were i guess from me and my process just kind of developing them and then the examples of successful tweets that we say put into a document for reference we'll go back to those or you know i'll even sometimes twitter uh, search bissell center against you know something like cold weather and just curious about how we how we tweeted last year years before and then you know you, you kind of see where you gotta you know tweak and modify and now there's additional character count that photos don't cost as much characters so you can add more into that so it's, it's really looking at the past and then tweaking for the future crushed it <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for joining us, Devin. Yeah. I'm super excited that one of my, like two of my favorite social media people are in the same room. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. And I'd like to leave uh, you guys with a rap that I wrote for you. What? Is that, yes. <laughs> yes. Is that cool? Is that cool? Yeah. Go ahead. <clears throat> Don't call me a guru. I've been here for years. Clickety clack on the keyboard. I bring fools to tears. Instagram, Facebook, fine wine and beers. My life is so rich when my iPhone is near. Whoa. Oh, Wait, dang. Pretty good. Word. <laughs> Mic drop. Linda, before we go, I want to talk about Bitmoji. I want to talk about Bitmoji because you really like Bitmoji I love on Bitmoji. Snapchat. Yes. And I like it too. I like the idea of an emoji that looks like me. What I don't understand is on Snapchat, why when you're interacting with someone, why is like three quarters of it you in a romantic <laughs> relationship with that person? Because like, I want to put our Bitmojis together, right. but I don't want to like live like the beginning, middle and terrible end of our like a romantic relationship. relationship every time I want to tweet us dressed up as unicorns or or snap us dressed up as You just have to scroll down, Tyler. That's all you have to do. I see it when I scroll past it. It's a problem. I accidentally sent one of those romantic ones to my boss. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I didn't mean that one. (laughs) Or did I? So next episode, we are talking to Dave Cornwaye of Dave Berta. He's a political blogger who writes about uh, Alberta politics. Uh, Fake news has been on Facebook, has been in the news a lot lately. We're going to talk about uh, the impact that had uh, on the American election as well as social media in uh, in local and uh, Albertan politics. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. Please follow us on Twitter. Don't call me a guru. Uh, we're on Instagram. Well, I think I've decided the Instagram strategy. I just decided it. <laughs> we'll, uh, That's fine. I we'll, uh, we'll be photos of us and our guests and things like that. You know, I don't I like want. It. Yeah, I like it. We're sharing some nice, I think, nice quotes on Twitter and things like that. But I don't think that's for Instagram. Okay. Okay. Great. What else? You can subscribe to us. Uh, we're on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play. We have an RSS feed that you can subscribe to. Who talks about RSS feeds? Because some people listen to podcasts in a different app and you need the RSS link. Thank you to producer Matt. 
Matthew Hergy is our producer uh, for this episode and all future episodes into infinity forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you to Doug Hoyer, who composed the amazing theme music. Uh, You are a, a gentleman and a scholar. I wish you all the best in these dark times you're living in the southern states. Doug, if you're listening, peace out, homie. I love you. We'll talk soon. Text me. And thanks to Devin for the awesome rap that he uh, he created for us, which we'll be using shamelessly. And thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>